somehow the government forgiving a little bit of indebtedness has become a political hot potato versus, you know, a giant thank you from all the Nevadans, and there's quite a few, with crushing student loan debt. That said, Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto has been one of the few Democrats who have vocally criticized the Biden administration for its recent loan forgiveness directive. So what is the critique, and how does all this play out in Senator Cortez Masto's contentious and highly watched re-election bid against Republican Adam Laxall? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we break it down with Nevada independent reporter Tabitha Mueller. It's Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Our United States Senator, Catherine Cortez Masto, recently came out with a critique. She kind of broke from the rest of the Democrat contingency and did a critique of some recent executive action from the White House. Maybe you could tell us about that. Where did she break off and and what was the subject matter there? So as Democrats were kind of celebrating President Joe Biden's announcement of the wide-reaching student loan forgiveness, like you mentioned, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto definitely broke party rank, sort of criticizing the president's actions for not going far enough. Basically, what she said is that the blanket loan forgiveness of up to $10,000 for income earners making less than $125,000 or up to $20,000 for people who had received federal Pell Grants. And that's funding for undergraduate students who demonstrate exceptional financial need doesn't actually address the root problems of that are making college unaffordable for folks. So this hits a lot of people here in Las Vegas, not just those who went to college or university, but also some of the the smaller specialized areas of higher education that qualified, yeah? Exactly. And it also applies to students who didn't finish degrees. So people who attended maybe one or two years of university and for whatever reason didn't choose to continue with their education. Got it. Now, A few months before that announcement from President Biden, I remember that Senator Cortez Masto had introduced or was uh, touting the introduction of her own education bill to, I think, quote unquote, reform the student loan program in in the country. How does Cortez Masto's bill and Biden's uh, executive order differ? So Biden's executive order applies kind of As a whole, just if you make less than this income, less than $125,000, you'll get up to $10,000 off. If you are a federal Pell Grant recipient, meaning that if you're from a very low income family or you qualify financially, then you get an additional $10,000 that you can have forgiven from your federal loans. Catherine Cortez Masto's act that she proposed, the Student Loan Relief and College Affordability Act, proposes some different measures that she says would better address the needs of folks who are attending college. So those include doubling the Pell Grant 
And the Pell Grant, like I said, is for low-income families. So what her legislation would do is double that Pell Grant to $13,000 over 10 years. Mm. Uh, It would also retroactively double the Pell Grant to provide targeted loan forgiveness to student borrowers. And it also has provisions to reform the the federal student loan system and offset costs through a 1% tax on large corporate stock buybacks. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah there, there's a it's a pretty hefty act that she put forward, but it's really sort of looking at can we target money toward lower income people from lower income backgrounds and then also reform that system, which is sort of what she was criticizing Biden for uh, not doing. Yeah. And I think I heard in that context that she was focused more on need based. Exactly. And that's sort of when we're talking about Pell Grants, we're really talking about need students who really need that financial support and saying that just doing a blanket forgiveness, her criticism, which aligns, I think, some with the criticism of Republicans, that this is going to give everyone uh, some form of forgiveness, not just those who are in the lower income brackets. It could also affect high income earners, for example. Right. So Cortez Masto making sort of a rare move of aligning with some Republican criticism. And I want to talk about that. But before I get to that, did President Biden steal some of Catherine Cortez Masto's thunder because she had just proposed something to deal with student loans and loan kind of approaches months before? And then Biden comes out and takes all the air out of the room. Well, so I think you have to understand that this discussion of student federal student loan forgiveness and sort of how to address it has been ongoing for a long time. And we saw it coming up during the presidential elections, right? Biden promised to forgive up to $10,000. I mean, obviously, Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont and Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts were both pushing for complete loan forgiveness or up to $50,000 or something like that. So this has been an ongoing discussion. And I think that Biden and sort of reached this point where he had to either deliver on the campaign promise that he had made or decide that he wasn't going to do it, especially within the context of the federal student loan pause that was ongoing during the pandemic. Got it. But Cortez Masto had already announced. Right. uh, (laughs) But so where is her bill now? What's the status of her bill? Yeah, she introduced the legislation, but I don't think it's like really moved forward from that introductory phase there. Got it. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, she sticks to her guns and tries to move that forward anyway or adjusts it based on what Biden did. Let's hyperfocus back on on Nevada for a second. What we learned from your reporting on this is that in Nevada, 11% of our population have student loans. And also, we have one of the worst default rates in the country at 18%. That's pretty high. Do you think that Cortez Masto plan had that in mind as far as something localized? Or you think that the Biden plan, as it's moved forward now, sort of addresses that kind of unique Nevada position better? So it's it's hard to say how many people in Nevada will be affected by Biden's student loan forgiveness announcement. I reached out to the state treasurer's office and they said they're not sure exactly how many pe- people it will affect and they're still kind of looking at the numbers and trying to review it. I think that Cortez Masto's plan is sort of it's not targeted specifically to Nevada, but it would likely also affect Nevadans. Cortez Masto's 
sort of proposal addresses more systemic issues, and then Biden addresses kind of an immediate need, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's that weird interplay between college affordability and loan forgiveness. And sometimes they're mentioned in the same breath, but there is that nuanced difference between those two things. I want to talk about some of the motivations that our senator might have had for you know, stepping out of party alignment and criticizing the president's plan. Do you think that her context of the conversation is tilting like the Republican criticism a little bit more to the right? Or is she actually maybe tilting a little bit further to the left with the idea of, you know, college affordability and need-based stuff more aligned with what you said, like like Bernie Sanders, who has won the state uh, before in Elizabeth Warren. So is she tacking right or is she tacking left with this? So I think she's kind of doing a little bit of both, right? She's criticizing Biden, which sort of appeals somewhat to people who are more on the right. And she is saying, but we need to do more, right? And and it very much appeals to people on the left. So she's sort of doing a little bit of both here. Uh, I think that people could see that headline of Cortez Masto is sort of pushing back against Biden's student loan forgiveness. And then as you read into the bill, like some of the changes that she wants to make sort of lean more toward this call from the left to we need to reform how we think about college affordability. Ah, the magical dance of politics. She is in one of the most competitive Senate races in the United States. A lot of focus from people outside the state here because perhaps the Senate uh, majority lies in the balance. By taking this stance uh, in criticizing the, the president's forgiveness plan, are there a lot of stakes? What What is she really gaining? Is she taking a risk by doing this? I don't know if I would say that she's taking a risk. Obviously, like you said, this is one of the most competitive re-election races in the country. The governor's race is also very, very competitive here in Nevada. And I think it's less of a risk and more of just a very calculated criticism that came out where she's kind of appealing to folks who identify a little more with Bernie Sanders or, or you know, the younger communities that are sort of calling for some of these loan forgiveness and college affordability plans. But I think she also recognizes that Nevada is a very, very purple state. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, mm-hmm. Clark County is pretty blue, but you have the rest of the rural counties. Washoe County is very much a swingy county. And I think that she is definitely, I don't want to say hedging her bets, but this is a pretty safe thing for her to say. People on the further left have said that Biden's forgiveness doesn't go far enough. People on the further right are more conservative, tend to say that Biden's loan forgiveness is like uncalled for. And so she's sort of in the middle here. And I think that's that's beneficial for her. Yeah, it, it is interesting in strategy. That's for sure. Uh, Adam Laxalt ha- has certainly followed party line in, in the way that they're doing this across the country by trying to tie Cortez Masto to Biden. Clearly, based on what you just said, she is saying, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not in lockstep. Uh, I, right. I part, and, th- and that may very well be a talking point up in, in the rurals. Well, I agree with you that if she's trying to 
sort of distance herself from Biden, right? That, that she would use this as one of the, hey, I didn't agree with Biden on the way that he rolled out his plan. And I called up her office too to clarify with them and say, you know, is this like a soft criticism? Like we like what you did, but it needs to go further. Or is this a, no, we we don't think this is the right move. And they they opted for the latter instead of the former. You know, they were very oh, strong wow. that, that like, no, this is a criticism, um, which I thought was really interesting in how they were talking with me about it. Because when I first saw the statement, it kind of felt like a soft criticism, like, hey, this doesn't go far enough. Uh, but no, it's this is the wrong direction. So I think that plays into what you're talking about with trying to distance herself from Biden. Okay. Uh, there's this pundit out there named John Ralston, who we're all familiar with, for better and worse, I'm going to say. He had noted that Cortez Masto is spending some significant time in the rural community campaigning, which he thought would be completely against the advice of one of her mentors, uh, Harry Reid, that it's a waste of time trying to garner votes in the rural parts of of Nevada because they just aren't going to vote for Senator Cortez Masto no matter what. There she is campaigning. I'm wondering also if this isn't your Harry Reid's Nevada anymore, and maybe Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and her team know something about this particular race that the pundits and the ghost of Harry Reid don't. What do you think? I think we're seeing a lot of changes right now, right? We've seen a lot of growth within the nonpartisan registration. A lot of people leaving to to join that party or uh, not party, but to sort of reject both parties for a while there. And it, I think it's still about like a third Republicans, a third Democrats, a third nonpartisan slash others. Yeah, there's always some others out there. Nevada is, right. a, is a land of significant others, <laughs> of which exactly. I like to think myself one, but you know, whatever. Anyway. No. And so I think that this is very much a changing political landscape, but you still have some of this. I would say you still have a very strong sense of individuality, right? We can see that in, for example, I'm going to bring up the abortion discussion that's been happening, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, People here in the state, regardless of party, overwhelmingly support abortion rights. That's not to say that those abortion rights are you know, we can disagree on the nuances of them, or we can talk about like what weak should that should be or whatnot. But for the most part, voters are very supportive of abortion protections, which are codified in the state law. And so I think that's another example of sort of the way that Nevada might be a little different when we're thinking about parties and sort of affiliations and how people think. I don't think that it's necessarily where one you know, well, if you're a Democrat, you feel this way. If you're a Republican, you feel this way. If you're nonpartisan, you feel that way. So I'm envisioning Senator Cortez Masto knocking on doors in the smallest towns, you know, door to door in Minden, in Lovelock, in Winnemucca. And she's like, no, I'm not with Biden. Look what I did on loan forgiveness. What other topics can she distinguish herself, you think, from this attempt by her opponent to really entwine her with Biden? Or is this like her best bet? I think this is one of the most visible 
examples Mm. of that, if that makes sense. Like, this is such a hot topic of conversation. We know that she sort of aligns with Democrats in terms of the pro-choice anti-abortion debate that's going on. But I think this is one of the most visible examples of that. However, you've sometimes seen her, I mean, she's voted against certain bills that um, Republicans have also voted against, and she's known for kind of working across the aisle, right? She tends to be not as strongly left as maybe some other members of of the Senate. Yeah. And I'm wondering, because in this um, election cycle, everyone is commenting on how vitriolic some of the ads are. And while that hasn't come out of nowhere, and we've seen this for for years and years and years, as we always like to say, this one seems particularly bad. And maybe in this climate, it is particularly bad. And I'm wondering if the just the steady attacks on that are going both ways, but the steady attacks on on Cortez Masto, they're all being painted as monsters, is, is her attempt to go into the rurals for whatever open votes might still be there to show she's not? I mean, could it be as something as simple as that? I mean, that would make sense to me. I think also there's an appeal to I'm a real person, right? She's somebody who likes to get in front, you know, when, when she's talking to voters, she's very engaged with them. You know what I mean? And I think that in Nevada, especially, we're Nevadans are really used to sort of interacting face to face with elected officials, right? All of the people that came during the presidential election, it's very much a state that I think you kind of have to show up and be present and make yourself known. And also just talking with voters, it's always interesting because you chat with them before an event and then you talk with them after and they'll feel very differently about candidates or they'll say, wow, I didn't realize that that person was so much more in line with how I felt or they were more charismatic to me, right? Like that it, that person-to-person interactions within the election cycle it shouldn't be, um, what's the word, undervalued. Mm. Um, I think it's really important, at least especially here in, in Nevada. What do you think Senator Catherine Cortez Masto's best talking point is what what legislation do you think that she is best able to tout that has helped Nevada to convince Nevada voters, whether they're urban, rural, or all points in between, to return her to Washington? Well, I think it's going to have to do with how she presents herself and how she is sort of laying herself against Adam Laxalt, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that for her, that's that's the crux of the issue. It's really drawing the line between this is who my challenger is and then this is who I am. The two candidates are very, like, it's not like they're similar on a lot of issues, right? They're attacking each other on crime. They're attacking each other on obviously abortion, all of these different things. Um, And so I think for her, it's a matter of saying, this is what I stand for. And this is how I'm going to push forward and represent people and, and all of those things, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I've been following a lot of the Nevada independent coverage of it. You're all doing just such a great job doing deeper dives into their, not just their policy positions, but the the legislation that they've been involved in because they've both been elected officials. Tabitha Mueller, thank you so much for coming on to explain the student loan forgiveness intrigue, uh, especially as it relates to Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. And thank you for your reporting on the topic. We'll look forward to talking with you again on related topics as this election season goes on forever and ever and ever here on CityCast Las Vegas. It never ends. (laughs) Great to see you today. Thanks for having me.
You could read Tabitha's article, Cortez Masto pushes back against Biden's student loan forgiveness as other Dems cheer on the NevadaIndependent.com. Two more things before you go. Nevada already leads the nation when it comes to the number of women in its legislature, and a new analysis suggests that we'll remain in that position after the November midterms. Nationwide, women hold about 31% of legislative seats. In Nevada, that figure is almost double at 59%. And hey, if you happen to be down on the Strip this evening, you might want to get in on the Las Vegas Aces Victory Parade. It'll start at 5.30 at Caesars Palace and wind up in front of the Bellagio Fountains. Sounds like a very Vegas way to honor the city's first major league professional championship. So, what's the over-under on Celebrate by Cool and the Gang being that song playing while the fountains spurt with congratulatory abandon? That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Share what you learned today with a friend and remind them to leave us some stars, write a review, and follow the show wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to find that gem in your inbox every morning. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Talk soon.